0: This may come as a shock to many of you, but did you know that more doctors prefer Camel cigarettes than any other cigarette out there? I know it's hard to believe, but uh, RJ Reynolds Tobacco Company has made it very clear in in their work and in their research that Camel is indeed the preferred cigarette of most physicians. At least uh, that's what it was in 1946 (laughs) when it first came out. And not to be outdone, Lucky Strike then also tried to sell to as many physicians as possible, and they had a nice little war about which physician thought their cigarette was the best in 1946. And that is crazy if you think about that. But yet, that's what went on. Decade after decade, people were smoking and not a lot of news about it, not a lot of concerns. And then all of a sudden, the doctors got onto it. The research was clear, and in the 60s, they began to completely disavow the cigarette industry. And in 1964, the landmark Surgeon General's report said, guess what, it causes cancer. All these things you've been doing are terrible for you. Don't smoke. It causes cancer, bronchitis, and many other ailments. But have you, have you seen a movie lately that's either was made in the 50s or 60s or 70s, or was sort of a retro movie where they went back and relived that period? Everyone was smoking. It's kind of crazy. You look at it and say, like, oh my, and it kind of shocks us now when we look at it, and we're going, everyone is smoking in this movie. But that's kind of the way it was back then. We grew up, you know, I grew up where there was smoking. My dad smoked. I would go visit him and his friends smoked. And and I'd come home and I'd be like, God, I smell terrible. Like, what is wrong? But, you know, that's what we did. I grew up, and many of y'all did too, where people smoked on airplanes. Now, that is crazy to think about that, that we all got on this aluminum tightly sealed drum, and we flew all across the world breathing everyone's smoke. Our children did it, we did it, and we didn't even think twice about it. But that's what it was. Finally, in 1988, all the major carriers began to discontinue smoking, and then in the 90s, all the carriers did. And now, we know. It would shock us, wouldn't it not, if someone smoked on a plane? The air marshal would get them before we could. But that is the era we live in. Smoking was still being debated in the 90s by by big tobacco, creating lots of controversy. It's not really that bad, all the way up until 1998, 98. Can you believe that? Now it shocks us. And by the way, if you're struggling with smoking, we can help you. So we wanna encourage you (laughs) not to smoke. So we don't want no condemnation for you, but just want to let you know. But you know, isn't it ironic? Then vaping came around. They said, vaping's going to be better. It's going to help you get off smoking, and it turns out it's terrible for you as well. So don't vape, and don't smoke. But remember, how many lies have been permeated around different industries that have been promoting their products that were actually killing us? It can kind of make us cynical. If you grew up in a time of Vietnam or Watergate or... We're aware of the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal. Maybe you saw or aware of just the horrible uh, time during the Great Recession when all the corruption, the fraud, the greed was permeating. Companies fell apart. People lost their life savings. The Bernie Madoff scandal. The college entrance exam scandal. I mean, it's just one after another. And it can make us cynical, can it not? Like, who is telling the truth? What is the truth? Can we trust anyone? It just seems like there's just one rolling lie and scandal, one after another after another. And that's local and national. And it's very difficult for us indeed because it makes us cynical. It makes us wonder who to trust and what to trust. And as believers, possibly, that trickles into your own heart when it comes to the Word of God. Is this actually true? Depending on where you are in your journey with Christ, you may be a new believer, you may be a young believer, you may be in high school and you're like, I don't care about this Bible. Or you may be a believer for many years and you just kind of slowly stop studying it, stop reading it. Or maybe you have real significant doubts about it. I hope you do. I hope you're reading it and questioning the text and wondering about, is this really true? Is this possible? Was Jonah really in the belly of a whale? Really? How'd that happen? I hope that you're thinking deep and hard about this. The Bible can take it, it is God's word. But we need to wrestle with it and probably many of us have doubts. Can we trust it? Is it the truth? Or is this just a nice collection of inspiring teachings of men that have died and we're all happy to learn from them? Or is it the word of God that has authority over our lives? We're going to look at a passage that just two little verses that unpacks exactly about that. And I want us to think again, a fresh new understanding of these two little verses that caused me a lot of trouble. And hopefully it'll cause you a little trouble as well. So I want you to uh, pull out your Bibles or grab a pew Bible, because we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, but I want you to look at the whole chapter. I'm going to read it in just a little bit, but as you're pulling out your Bibles or maybe looking on your phone, I want you to just get refreshed a little bit. A lot's happened the past couple of weeks. I want you to think about the first four chapters of this great epistle to the Hebrews, to this small church that was struggling, that was having a tough time at it. Who is being persecuted. The first chapter reminds us that Jesus is more superior than the angels. Then it goes on in two and three and four and reminds us that Jesus is superior to Moses and to the Mosaic law. And then it reminds us of the children wandering in Israel, the Israelites in the wilderness, and how they began to stop believing. They began to doubt and drift, and it cost them their lives. And they did not enter into the promised land. And they did not receive the rest that was promised to them. So these are weighty matters. And as we see this, there's, there's one little line that, is, that has been reminded several times already. I'm going to read it for you. In this one little line, it says to us, in Hebrews 3, it says, don't harden your heart as in their rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. 315 says, as I said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. And then now in our chapter, verse 7, it says, and again, he points today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So there's a real risk for us in the cynical world, if we've suffered a lot, if you've taken a lot of hits in your life, to begin to kind of, hmm drift. Or maybe you never really embraced that this is true. This is God's authoritative, inspired, inerrant word of God. This is what we're studying. And these two little verses are going to remind us. So I'm going to read them for you. You can remain seated. I'm just going to read it for you. Verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, may your word penetrate us, shock us even, remind us, Help us, O Lord, to be honest as you see it all and you know us, that the words come alive to us as your living, true word. We pray this in your name, Jesus, amen. We have a gift in our liturgy, do not, that we come in here in our minds a thousand different places, we're called into worship by the word of God, and then we profess what we know is true from God's word. And that sparks in us, oh, I probably have some stuff. I, I need to confess my sin. And then we have a corporate confession of sin, which leads us in a private confession. And then assurance of pardon. I hope you're grabbing that heart wholeheartedly. And then we have this time of the word. But that confession today was so good. This is so much us. The line that Robbie already highlighted that our appetite for things of secondary or even third or no importance fill our lives with longings that you never intended us to have. So things just get in the way of God's word. And God's word is more powerful and we're gonna look at it. We're gonna look at every little phrase. There are six characteristics in this one verse. In verse 12, the word of God is this. It is living, it is active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Which means it can pierce to the vision of the soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, and then the kicker, discerning the thoughts and intentions of our heart. So, we're gonna, real quick, we're gonna roll through these, each one, and dissect it. So, the Word of God is living. In the Greek, in this sentence, living is the very first word. It's like living is the Word of God. To remind us, the, the Word of God is not dead, it is alive. It is alive and at work, all in us. First Peter one says, since you have been born again, not of imperishable, not of imperishable, but through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah saying, all flesh is like grass and the glory of the flower of grass and the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then Jesus in Matthew actually makes it clear by actually connecting the authority of Scripture from the Old Testament and linking it with the Gospels and the New. Jesus himself affirms this, and he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. So it's alive, and it's working, and it's active. The word of God is active. Do you believe that? What's happening here is a very interesting phrase that one scholar says. This word active means having in itself energies of action, divine actions in the, in the actual word of God that produces results. And if you're a believer and, and have read something and been convicted, you know that to be true. If you've been encouraged by something, if your heart is breaking and you go to the Psalms and you read something and you're like, yes, then you can sense that living and active word of God. One of the most famous passages that summarizes both the living, active, and authority is at 2 Timothy 3. <clears throat> there, we're reminded clearly in verse 15 how Timothy, from childhood, was acquainted with the sacred writings which were able to do this actively, able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he reminds us and Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. God God breathed it, spoke it. And it is good for profitable for teaching, for approved correction and training in righteousness. So we had this great confirmation of the word of God, all of it. And then Paul, when he was in prison later on, said, I'm in prison, but the word of God is not bound. It's still going forth. So even when we're disabled and unable and can't do it, the word continues to go. It will not return void. It is active. It will accomplish. And in it, to me, a very powerful, this is awesome. So I'm I'm gonna read four different passages from four different places in the Bible. Genesis, Gospel of John, Hebrews, and Revelation. So Genesis 1, John 1, Hebrews 1, and Revelation 1. Listen for the thread of God's living and active word. And you know this, but hear it fresh. In the beginning, God created, and we know what he did. We know how he was moved across the earth, It was darkness, the surface was deep, but the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. He just spoke it into being. And then in John, we are, see the linkage there between Genesis and John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him, not anything was made, that was made. And in him was life and this was the light of man. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we see the power of the word. And then hop over to Revelation and it says clearly here that all the things that that in the Revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must take place. And he said, by sending the angel to his servant, John, he testifies everything he saw, that the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, Christ Jesus, be blessed for the one who reads this out loud, the words of the prophecy are blessed, and we must take them to heart for the time is near. And then putting all those, Genesis 1, John 1, Revelation 1, and now Hebrews 1, they all interconnect right here. This is, Only God can do this. You have have 66 books of the Bible written over thousands of years in three different languages and they beautifully, seamlessly all interconnect. And the message of Christ is clear as the word goes forth. We did this a couple of weeks ago. Listen again. Long ago and in many times and in many ways, God spoke, his word went forth to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his appointed son. Through him, he also created the world and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature. And here it is. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Just speaks. He's not like Atlas who's like, I'm holding the earth, I'm getting tired. Can I, I need a break. No. He just, he's casting it out through his word and everything is upheld. And it's not only that, it's living and active and dynamic and growing to its ultimate intended purpose as we see culminated in Revelation. And it's all happening. Every prophecy has been fulfilled in Christ. All the messianic prophecies of old have come to full fruition. So we know the prophecies now about Revelation will be We can build trust in his word. It's living and active. It's on full display. And then we pivot here. And as we think about it, sharper than any two-edged sword, not sharper as, but more sharp than anything we could ever imagine. And and it's powerful because it's able to go between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It's able to do what no man can do. It's extreme penetrative power, the Word of God goes to the very core of our being. Now, can anyone do this? Can anyone? Can a famous, the world's most famous neurologist do that? Or radiologist? Can he scan and find this, what the Word of God can? Can a Supreme Court judge oversee this and demand that it come to be? No. No, no one can. No psychiatrist, no surgeon, no one is able to divide divide the soul and the spirit with the joints and the marrow to discern the thoughts and intentions of a heart. And just in case you're wondering, that would include the Hulk, Doctor Strange, Thor, Spider-Man, and all the other superheroes as well. That is one thing they cannot do, okay? Even them cannot. So the reality is, that God can do anything through his word. Now, if you're like me, if you have kids, uh, I have four awesome kids. They're not little kids anymore. They're grown up. But all of them have broken bones. All of them have had multiple MRIs and CAT scans and x-rays. We have paid a lot of money. If anyone needs to borrow crutches, come on over and we've got a lot of that. But it is... It is amazing, I think I've almost got one person I could mosaic together with all the MRIs. I just grabbed a few, these are my boys, you know, this is the skull, my other son's back, this is uh, my son's wrist that was broken, and it just goes on and on and on and on. So I looked at the brain of my son on this MRI, and I tried to see if I could see the thoughts and and intentions of his heart on here, and I could not. And I tried to give it to Dr. Mark Fulmer, and he could not. And so we, we can't find it. But God's word can. Just think about that. It, it, we're exposed. In fact, that's exactly what, what he says. If we keep on reading, we find out that we are exposed by his holy word. In fact, verse 13 makes it clear. As a result of what happens in 12, as a result of the six characteristics of God's word, then for us, we're exposed. It says, no creature is hidden from the sight. We're naked and exposed. And here is, this one's a big one, to whom we must give an account. That is what the word of God says. Now, in a beautiful poetic way, on the positive side, Psalm 139 talks about this, right? Psalm 139, It's like before the thoughts are on your mouth, he knows them before you lie down, before you wake up, he knows what you're going to do. God is intimately acquainted with our thoughts. And that leads David to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. As believers, that is what we can do. But it's a little unnerving, am I right? To know that everything is about us. None of us like to be exposed. None of us. We don't want our stuff out there. Even if you post on Instagram. But we still don't want our most secret stuff out there. And the Word has exposed it. And that's probably a little unsettling. It's unsettling for me. The reality is that in this one little verse, 13, there's a very difficult phrase to translate. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him. It can mean that the, the neck being exposed before it's about to be slaughtered. It can also mean a wrestler who has got the other, his opponent by the neck and is about to take him down. Whatever it is, that thing is not good for us. We don't like that feeling, but that is exactly where we are, and we are confronted with this. So in two verses, we just took a few minutes and went word by word, phrase by phrase of two verses, and it both encourages us and scares us a little bit. It's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? We, but we've got to remember, when we are confronted with God's word, we are confronted with God himself. And our loving God wants us to know that it's all laid out before him. Now, there is good to this. If you've read the Sermon on the Mount, have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Who's read the Sermon? Thank you. Okay. Are you still with me? Are you alive? Or are you awake? Okay. Thank you. All right. For those who did not raise their hand, I want you to read the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, you, know, you need to go talk to someone after you read because you're like, well, great, I can't do anything right, you know, because your thoughts and intentions of your heart, if you judge someone inside your heart, you're like, I need to confess that, because he sees our hearts. The Word of God exposes that. All the, the religious people were like external, visible expressions of the religion, but Jesus sees it all. His word exposes it all. And that is a good thing because it keeps us from the danger of exactly what the book of Hebrews is warning us about. The danger of drifting, of slowly fading away. Y'all look pretty good. Everyone looks good here. No one looks, no one looks like a mass murderer, but we all know that we can easily drift into murdering people in our hearts by what we think. I am guilty. That's what the Sermon on the Mount tells us. Our anger, it's inside of our heart. It's like murdering them. And it's like, well, we're all guilty. Yes. But we're also clothed in Christ. We are righteous in, in him. If anyone is in Christ, is new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's Christ. We are clothed in him. And, and out of love, he exposes this. Because the children of Israel who are walking in the desert began in their hearts to drift from the Lord and it was very costly for them. The Lord tried to woo them back and they were stiff-necked and they were, as I read earlier, three times in two chapters, do not harden your heart. And it's easy to do that, right? You may be cynical, jaded, frustrated by something, deeply wounded by something or you're you're just in a stage of your life where you just don't care. This is what the Lord God is telling us. Be warned, be careful. If you're not a believer, there's also some good parts of this. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman? So Samaritan woman, he meets her at the well and they're talking and Jesus says, go get your husband. And she goes, uh, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, you're right. You have five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Now that's probably when all of us would have gone I'm done. I'm out of here. Uh, but sh- she keeps with him. And she, she, even though she is exposed by the Word of God, by God Himself, the Word and flesh, she hangs in there and she is saved. The exposing and the revealing saved her soul. And that is good. And not only that, later on we hear exactly what happened. She goes back to her village and all the people from the town, all the people from the town believed because she was willing to be exposed. And he said, because the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. That was grace, grace upon her. So in just the last few minutes, we've got to think about how do we apply this? How do we understand these two tiny little verses that have exposed us? And it's, it's, it can be difficult. This is where I really wrestled with. I was like, I think I'm guilty because I, I don't want you to leave here and go, I just need to read my Bible more. That is not the challenge here. That's not the application here. If you want to, yes, go for it. But it's not about do, 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 and about more performance. What we're not, that's not what we're talking about today. It's already been all done in Christ you can't earn it by doing more or being dutiful. I think a lot of us, if you're like me, I'm a guilt magnet. If you can pick up every time a sermon, say, oh, I'm not doing anything right. And not, I don't want you to hear that. I rather want you to think about, how is my heart under the authority and the priority of God's holy and errant word? How are you doing with submitting yourself under the God's word, so when you're reading it, you're tender to it, you're actually engaging it, and not just checking a box, but actually it's cutting into you a little bit, this is a good sign. But it's exactly what we don't like. It's that it's good that we let the word of God richly dwell in us. Where it does expose, and it comforts, both are happening here. So are we humbled by it? Are we restless, irritable, discontent? I don't care. I'm tired of going to Bible study. Or are you sensing, I have gotta study this word. I've got to know. Or you may think, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not feeling it, but I know I should. That's good. I want, uh, Huxley said something very profound. He said, humans have an infinite capacity to take things for granted. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, if you've been in Bible studies, but now you're in a season where you're not, or you haven't been saying the word, you start taking things for granted and slowly drifting. We've got, and during this time of extend, all of us have got to be on point. We've got to be spiritually geared up for what God is, God is doing something massive and it's far beyond a building. It's what he's doing in and through you and me. And so we've got to kind of gear ourselves into this, be working ourselves at, into an understanding because Henry Nouwen said, this is so good. Listen to this, Henry Nouwen said, the less I hear God's voice, the more prone I am to follow the prodigal in search of unconditional love, where it can never be found. So I'm gonna read that again. The less I hear God's voice, the more prone I am to follow the prodigal in search of unconditional love, where it can never be found. And that is us. That is what we've just confessed. We, we just, it's drifting constantly. We're being worn down constantly. We must remember the Lord God is wooing us through his word. And as Spurgeon said, the word of God is the anvil upon, upon which the opinions of men are smashed. So we must come under God's word first. And submit. So how's... The, the authority and the priority of your heart in God's word? That's, that's the key question here. For me, I was like, I'm, I had some confessing to do. Kind of got a little blase, a little nonchalant about the whole thing. It's Christmas, you get tired, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, it's the living word of God. May none of us grow lazy in it. If any of y'all have seen the movie A Few Good Men... It's a fantastic movie. In it is the great climax, the courtroom scene where you have Tom Cruise, who's Lieutenant Caffrey, and he's in a fiery, fierce cross-examination of Colonel Nathan Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson. And it's intense. And if you remember that, you know, you, you hear Tom Cruise going, I want the truth, and I want to pretend to act this thing out. But this is where Jack Nicholson goes, you can't handle the truth. And then he goes on to a brash, arrogant tirade, a, a bullying and intimidating everyone in the courtroom about how he is defending this country and he is doing the right thing. And none of y'all can handle the truth. And it's, it's a phenomenal scene. It is intense. The great irony is, and you know it, you know, if you've seen it, if you haven't, you need to see it during his tirade, his fierce articulation of why you need me on that wall and why he has to do what he does is because we can't handle the truth. And yet, he's the liar. He is the one lying. He himself cannot handle the truth. And it was never exposed until in that courtroom it all came out. That exposure revealed the blind side, his lack of self-awareness, his arrogant pride, but it came out. We need that. We need that to happen. God's word does that. Because we sometimes say you can't handle the truth and demand things when it's actually us, right? It's us. Well, who's gonna do that? We're not going to court for that, but God's word can do that in us. It exposes it and it, and it humbles us because we can handle it. And this is hard. So out of time, but I want to say a few things for you just to consider. When you think about a few things here, how's a few things that you could do to take the next step? What's the next two, three, 4% of getting in God's word? Do you go to any kind of Bible study? Are you in any kind of study of God's word? If you're not, go to one of the women's or one of the men's, look on the website and get in, plug it in. Are you in a small group? Do you want to be in a small group? Awesome. Come talk to us, email us. Let us know we want to find small groups. And if you're in one or you, you want to now lead one, come on. You know, one of the best ways to learn God's word is to start teaching it. Come on, we need more leaders. Teach in the children's area. You'll love it. It'll change your life when you teach God's word. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't even matter if they get it. But you get to teach it. So we need more teachers. Memorize that scripture. Turn your radio off. Turn your phone. Turn off your Netflix. And just immerse yourself in God's word a little longer instead of streaming another full series of whatever. Because this is the word of God. Let the word of God speak to your depressed soul. If your heart is heavy, go to the Psalms and let it tell you, let it give you the road map. Why are you cast down on my soul? Praise God. And begin to use the word as a balm to help your soul. So in the scriptures, in the book of Hebrews, they studied God's word together. We need to do that together. We need to allow that And if you feel exposed right now, great news, final point. Just go to the very next verse. This is so awesome. Just to the point where we're being very vulnerable as we've been exposed and laid out there naked and bare, the next verse reminds us of something incredible. It's the gospel, y'all, that we have a high priest who knows everything and loves us. It says clearly here, the very next verse, Since then, we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect was tempted just as we were, and yet without sin. Therefore, let's draw near to him with confidence that we may receive mercy. That is what we do with our exposure as we go to the throne of grace and there's a savior that is loving us right there. Let's pray. Father, God, almighty, we all confess that we're prone to wander, we are prone to drift. So by your Holy Spirit, will you right now lovingly convict us, lovingly expose us so that we can be aware of these areas that put us in peril. I need it, and so do my brothers and sisters. So, oh Lord, work now, we pray, especially as we prepare for a new year. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.